and welcome back to another episode of the Real Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jacob O'Connor. Real Conversations is a podcast for those dedicated to doing hard things and living a meaningful life. This belief is perhaps best encapsulated by a quote from the great Teddy Roosevelt. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, nor where the doer of deeds could have done them better. No, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. With that being said, welcome back to another episode of Real Conversations. Dane, how are you doing, man? Man, that's quite the intro. I feel like inspired, man. I'm going to go and change the world after this, I think. Well, that's why I wanted to have you on is like the common thread, I feel like, of my episodes going back from my very beginning of why I want to start podcasting is picking the brains of smart people. And I would categorize them as high performers. I would definitely put you in that arena. Um well, that's you're, very kind of you. <laughs> yeah, of course, man. I mean, you're 26. You're leading a team at Invista, which is a co-subsidiary, uh, and you're one of the leaders in XR. You got a major in bio, was it biomedical major? Yep. With three minors of chemistry, math, physics, all from the Honors College. Uh, you've spoken at MIT. You've spoken at Amazon Web Conferences. Like You've done incredible things by the age of 26. I think where I want to start is what influenced you to be this way? Cause you look at a lot of people your age, they might just be getting started out with, I guess their life of like moving on from college and that scene. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think part of it is I'm maybe I haven't been diagnosed, but maybe I'm ADHD. <laughs> you know, I, in, in reality, it's that I have a lot of things that are interesting to me. Right. And so uh, I think, it's a blessing and a curse because you know you always are thinking about something. Um, it's a curse in that you sign up for a lot of different things and uh, you also tend to learn that you're pretty bad at a lot of different things. <laughs> right. And so it's a bit of a, a hit to the ego sometimes, but I, I think for me, uh, I, I would just say it's trying a lot of, of different things and failing you know, a lot of different, at, at a lot of different things. Um, you know, to your point with the the opening quote, right? It's about the people who are you know, putting the pen to paper and making things happen, as opposed to you know somebody who is throwing stones at a glass house kind of thing. Yeah. So I I, I a lot of times you know I'll have uh, get you know folks that are in college they'll ask me like, hey, what? How do you do it? How do you you know how do you become the you know the president of whatever society or how do you you know, whatever it is. Yeah, and, yeah. and essentially the advice that I always give them is like, look, figure out something that's tangential to what you want to do and just try it. Because a lot of times people don't understand, you know, they have this, uh, you know, uh, this vision of what this thing will be through rose colored glasses. And then you try it out and you go, oof, you know, I'm, maybe I'm not as good at that as I thought I was going to be, or it wasn't as fun or whatever. And so, uh, try and figure out how to, how to sample things without spending a bunch of money and time on them to mm -hmm. understand what you like and then really invest in the things that you do like. It, it doesn't have to be perfect at first. And that's something that a lot of people get held up by. I know I have, but that's what a mutual friend of ours, Grant Johnson, that's what I really like about him mm -hmm. is if you go back and listen to the episode, he was self-taught yep. and he didn't have to be perfect. He just said, school is not interesting to me right now. I need to find something and dabble in it. And his dabbling led to him becoming very good. And now 19 years old, college dropout, he's doing very well. And I think that's kind of one of the interesting things of just get started with something. Yeah. If you're, uh, if you're waiting for the perfect time or for somebody to give you permission, you'll never get started. 
right? And so that's that's a you have to be careful, right? I, I always have to qualify right. when you say you know, don't ask permission. Like obviously there's a, a time and a place, right? Right. But I think most of the time, if you if you wait to ask permission or wait for people to understand what you're trying to get accomplished or the idea that you have, then you know, somebody else will come through and make it happen. And so I, I think that's another big thing is um you know, just do it. Figure out what the smallest version of that thing is that you want to do and just do that. And then figure out if that's, you know, in the same vein of, of what you're trying to accomplish. And if not course, correct. If so, double down. Right. Well, and you're clearly on a course with the mission here and we can see what you've done up to this point, but no one understands your vision like you do. And so what is it that you're working towards? What is it that you're on this mission for? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you have anybody who has, you know, a, a vision and, and, you know, vision seems maybe hyperbolic, right? It's like you have some, some great plan right. ahead of you. I think everybody has a plan for things that they want to do or, or can have a plan for things that they want to do. And as the owner of the plan, the onus falls on you to be able to convince other people that that's a worthwhile thing to also do. Right. And so I think there's a lot of people who don't take the time to do that. They uh, they think that their their own genius is is so thorough that they can you know just will things into existence. And I think one of the things that I've learned over time is that it takes a lot of uh, it's it's an art rather than a science mm -hmm. uh, to understand people and what what makes them uh, interested in a particular thing and how you can help them. Um, and so I, that's been a big piece of what I've been learning over the last couple of years is, you know, how do you, how do you hit the intersection of, you know, the vision that, that I have, as well as you know, the comparative advantages that these people, you know, the, the people that I want to work with have so that it's a win-win situation and you can structure it that way. That's a, that's a skill set, And I, I don't think enough people talk about, you know, usually we, we think about, uh, this is a, I will achieve this thing. And well, people rarely achieve anything great by themselves. Mm -hmm. And so aligning the incentives between what you want to do and what other people want to do is probably the single most important thing you can do in order to ensure success. So that's, that's a, a, a journey that I'm on right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're managing people and you have a team at just 26 years old and the hardest thing is you've been doing it by yourself, obviously leading up to this point. Now it's like, how do you get the other people to do what you want them to do, but also to be properly incentivized because it's got to be intrinsic. You can't just put a dollar value on it and say, go in this direction and then, you know, mush. That's not how it works. They need to like feel a passion. And so what are you maybe like trying to inspire with XR? You know, that that's the, the other difficult thing about having a vision is that when you start to incorporate other people on your team into making that vision a reality, they also have good ideas, right? <laughs> and most of the time they're better than the original one that you had mm -hmm. because they have more information over time that they've, you know, put together. And so that's, that's a, a hard part of that too, is, you know, a lot of times people put together a vision or, you know, a plan and it, that plans their baby. And sometimes you have to step back and go, you know, your baby's ugly, man, right? Like we, you know, there's a, there's a better way that we can do this. Right. And so, um, that's a, that's a difficult 
aspect of, of leading a team as well, especially high performers, because the high performers are the ones with the good ideas, right? And so a lot of times, again, they'll have better ideas than you. And so it's, it's a, it's a humility check on, Hey, you know, what's the actual ethos of what I'm trying to accomplish as opposed to, you know, the stepping stones that I have to step on to get there. Because as far as I'm concerned, I don't care if we take a boat or a plane or an airplane, you know, like if we get there, that's the point. And so I think that's a, an important thing is have real clarity on what the ethos of the accomplishment is that you're trying to get to, but don't, you know, have strong opinions held loosely on where we want to go or how we would get there, I guess, is a better way to, to put it. Yeah. I, I like that. And I'm curious too. So for people who don't know XR, this is coming from, <laughs> this is coming from my end, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not a super technical person. It was explained to me as like the combination of the intersection of virtual reality and augmented reality. Can you please provide some more insight? <laughs> in this? Cause I think this will, what does it mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. So I'm, most people know what virtual reality is. Right? Yeah. And, it, and it's funny because back when we first started, um, even that landscape's changed so much. Mm -hmm. right? Like we were putting people in a, a HTC Vive, which is a headset. Uh, you know, it has a bunch of wires on it. It's bulky and heavy. Mm -hmm. And uh, nobody had seen VR before. And then now we have people coming in the sites and we're just like, all right, we're going to train you into, into VR. And they're going to, they're like, oh, I was playing Beat Saber last night. Right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so VR is, is what a lot of people understand and, and have interacted with. Uh, augmented reality is getting there. Uh, I don't know if you've ever played Pokemon Go. Uh, my friends have. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, we can think back several years ago where like hordes of people are chasing, you know, virtual objects yep. <laughs> through parks and things like that. So that's, that's augmented reality. And then there's also even to further confuse you, there's one called mixed reality. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mixed reality is kind of a hybridized version of the two. So, you know, it would be uh, for instance, you know, if I had a, a, a virtual space, um, but you could put it on, you can see through, you know, the headset into this office and then you walk through the door and you're in a digital space, mm -hmm. it, right? So it's a hybridization between the two of those things. Um, and XR is just the umbrella used to explain both or all three of those. So mixed reality, I think whenever I went to visit you and Grant, we put on these glasses and then it was like, give me directions to Grant's desk and it like popped up and I could see through the glasses. That would be mixed reality. Yep. Wow. Yep. That's a, a form of it. Now, again, uh, there's, these are all blurry lines, right? So, um, the, and really the, it's just pedantic. So when you get into, is it XR, is it VR, is right. it AR? Um, but yeah, that was mixed reality. So I had one of the coolest experiences. I went and had lunch for some context here with Dane and Grant over at Coke a couple of weeks ago. And I put on do you remember which headset it was where you'd walk in the plank? Yeah, it was the Quest Pro. So I put on the Quest Pro headset and all of a sudden I can't see anything except for this virtual reality, which is whatever is in, on the lens in front of me. I can't see behind it or around it really. This is my first experience with virtual reality. And so um, you step inside and the, the game's called like plank or something like that. And it takes you up an elevator, the doors open, and all of a sudden you're at the top of the skyscraper. And you're like, oh my gosh, like you're looking around and it feels so real. Your hands start sweating. You have the actual physiological response as if you were doing it. And that gives you instructions on the screen, which is basically all you can see. And it says, step out onto this plank. And this plank's like a foot wide and 10 feet long. 
and he wants you to walk out on the plank over the city and you can move your head every which direction. It's like you're actually there. And then it gives you these directions to jump off, like to step to the right, like off the plank. I couldn't do it. I was sweating so bad and so nervous. I took off the headsets. Like I can't get off this thing. Yeah, no. So I, I love that demo. Um, one, because it's just, it's a lot of fun yeah. right? and it's a, it's a good experience way to be silly, you know, with people. Uh, the other thing that I love about it though, is, you know, sometimes we get into these discussions around like, how real does it really need to be in order for it to be productive? And so that's an interesting question, right? Because, uh, despite the fact that you couldn't feel the wind, right. you know, on you or, you know, smell the city, uh, or, you know, feel the sun, you know, kind of thing. It felt real. Yeah. Right. And so that's an interesting psychological thing to dissect, which is what are the actual inputs that I get from my world that contribute to me believing what I see? Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's a, a fundamental question that we think about when we're designing trainings and things like that is like, what is believable? What does that mean? And so I love that demo though, because despite not having wind and all the other things, you're right. Like you can't, you can't get away from the fact that your palms sweat, your heart rate starts going up a little bit. You know, your, uh, the pupils, you know, dilate. If you look at, you know, stress related reactions, you know, physiologically with the eyes. And so it's, uh, that's a fun one because you can't get away from it. Right. Like everybody feels that because we're human. And so the the folks that say, well, you know, it needs to be more realistic or, you know, I don't believe that you can have an emotional response. There you go. What, what always maybe concerns me about virtual reality is like people living in that world. And it's like, well, it's so real. Like you're having the reaction. You don't need to go do the thing. And I'm always more prone to, no, you should go skydiving. You should go on that vacation, go under deep sea uh, diving, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so I love the advancement in technology, but at the same time, it always concerns me. Yeah, man, there's a rabbit hole that we can go down. I don't know. Yeah, let's go for All it. All right, let's go down the rabbit hole. So <laughs> I I think there's an interesting, uh, you know, the concept of a virtual you, right? That's that's kind of what we're talking about here is, is should there be a, a virtual you or should the real you go and enjoy those real things? And I think there's going to be probably a hybrid in the future, right? Uh, you know, so for example, you know, we used to go on field trips in school. Imagine if the future of field trips is that you can go visit all seven continents in a day. And by the way, talk to George Washington right. while you're there. And, you know, with the invention of chat GPT and some of these chat bots and all, all the things that are coming out, hyper-realistic avatars. I mean, uh, the future might be that you know, chat GPT, George Washington version has been trained on all the letters that he's written, all the content that's been produced about him. And there's a hyper-realistic George Washington avatar. And so on your field trip, George Washington's driving the field bus or, oh or the, the school bus, right? So I think it's it's important not to get too anchored to on like, what does that mean? Because it's going to change. And like, there's so much it's going to be different in the future that it's even hard to predict, <laughs> you know, six months from now, like what, what does that look like? But, but the digital you thing's interesting because, you know, so I thought experiment, experiment, imagine that 
Siri, do you have a, you have an iPhone? Yep. Okay. So imagine that Siri, uh, for your whole life, right, you grow up with Siri. So when you're a kid, you get a tablet to watch cartoons and whatever, and it has Siri on it. And that Siri version follows you through adulthood, mm-hmm. collects data on you, uh, knows what you search, knows how you interact with your device, knows all of the things that you do online, and even knows some of the physical stuff because you're taking pictures, you're, you're doing those types of things. Right. So it has a profile on who you are and, and how you interact with things. And, you know, a lot of people don't know, but like advertisements, the reason why you, you know, you talk about dog food and then all of a sudden you're, there's an ad for dog food on your phone is because, you know, there's a profile of people like you doing, acting in a particular way, and then they're serving those ads up. And so the, the technology's there, it's just not been used in this way. But imagine that you have an assistant that grows up with you and its intention is to exclusively replicate who you are in a digital format. Well, so that's interesting because does that mean that I can go on vacation and it answers my emails as if it were me? Right. Or what does it actually mean to differentiate that versus myself? And so I I think the future will be uh, a place where the opportunity to interact with diverse digital information will be, um, you know, available to everybody. But I agree. I think uh, you got to go touch grass sometimes too. You know, there are so many directions that this could go. The the one that I think I want to start at is, so in my head, if you had a virtual assistant like that, that's picking up more information, it's going to be more accurate. That's machine learning. And so to me, how machine learning is uh, works is the more data that you give it, the more accurate it becomes in its predictions and decisions. Mm-hmm. So if you set things up as Apple and a lot of companies have, the more data they gather on you, the better they can cater to you, which you think, oh, this is great. They can now answer my emails. They can do whatever they want. But at the back end, what you don't realize is they've now created, like you said, that digital model that they are figuring out how to advertise to you, how to, I guess, manipulate you in a way to get you to perform an action that they want you to perform. Mm-hmm. And that is such a wildly double-edged sword that I don't even know how to wrap my head around. Yeah, well, it's scary, uh, and and I don't have the answer. I don't think anybody has the answer, right? We gotta we gotta figure that out over time. Um, I think there'll be identity is a problem across the board. Mm-hmm. The fact that you have to use a different identity to log into your Gmail as to your Facebook is a problem. Right. We should have a single identity that follows you around all of these different websites and allows you to log in and access information. And then when you're done. You close up access to that identity and you move on. And that's not the way it works right now, right? Everybody has a piece of who you are on their platform. And, you know, they they cater to that piece of, of who you are. And so I think there'll be a future too where, you know, it's interesting, um, it, you know, if you've been in like the blockchain space for a while, right? You always get these like hype cycles and everybody's like, ah, you know, got to buy NFTs or like Dogecoin. (laughs) Yeah. Dogecoin. I mean like the ICO stuff was really popular in like 2017. Right. So like there's, there's these hype cycles, but there's some really strong application, I think, in like, you know, identity, you know, I I don't know if you've ever connected like a MetaMask wallet to. Nope. Okay. So, so wallet for crypto is where you store your cryptocurrency. Okay. What's interesting about that though, is that uh, any of the like exchanges that you use, you don't actually have to like type in any credentials. As long as you have your MetaMask wallet connected, 
you just go to the website, hit connect, and it pulls the information from the MetaMask wallet. Interesting. And then if you want to leave, you say revoke credentials for this website, and it has to ask you again to pull that information. And so essentially the the website never actually has your information. It's just calling it from your wallet. And so I think there'll be a future where you know your identity is a black box that you own the information for. And you're able to go to whatever website you'd like, connect to your wallet. It pulls the associated information that it requires to run whatever service that you're trying to interact with. And that's the end of it. So I think that's an interesting security methodology because it's something that we need. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we've seen plenty of of issues with uh, like Cambridge Analytica and all those, you know, with Facebook and other or meta now. Um <laughs> But I, I think there's going to have to be some fundamental rethinking about what is identity on the web um, and how does that intersect with you know the quote unquote metaverse. Um, so that's a really interesting question. I guess, sorry, I'm kind of musing here, but. No, no, you're good. And again, with the data collection, you're creating this digital copy of yourself by gathering more information, more information. Now let's pretend back with your analogy of the school bus, you're on a field trip, George Washington's driving the, the school bus, but let's go a couple generations ahead and let's say I'm long forgotten and dead, but in a world where I could be driving the school bus because all of that information was collected on me and preserved in a way that you could accurately predict what I would say. And I already have all of my memories. I can take the pictures out of my camera roll and make an accurate representation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I talked with Grant about that for a while. Is that possible? I mean, yeah, I mean, it will be, um, you know, every, all, all supporting technologies are, you know, in route kind of thing uh, to being created and imagine, you know, future where you're, you pay your, your $10 a month Netflix subscription to talk to your grandma who passed away several years ago. I mean, that's that's the interesting types of use cases that happen as a result of this is uh, there's a there's a video, uh, there's a guy on YouTube called Thrill Seeker, and he has a really good um, VR, you know, kind of overview. He does like you know, news in the, the XR space. Here's a video today where you can take your iPhone if it has LiDAR on it <clears throat> and you can use your iPhone to record a video and then you can play back that video in 3D. Uh, wearing like a VR headset. So imagine that, you know, I took a video from this, you know, perspective over here facing both of us. Right. You can replay that and then go walk around. So I can sit by you and watch how I look while we're interacting. And it's video. That's a crazy thing to think about because then it's like, what what's a memory, you know, and, and the ability to share history with people. If everything's captured, it can... Well, actually, so the NBA just rolled this out. They're they're working on it. They've developed an app. You're shaking your head. So I feel like you know about this. Okay. If I say anything wrong, correct me, but they've developed an app to where you scan yourself using their cameras, and then you can go watch a previous NBA game from the point of view of one of the players or someone in the crowd or off the bench. So the example they give is they have some basketball players, say Jimmy Butler, is running the fast break, and all of a sudden you are watching from – you're watching from his point of view or you become him or something like that. And you're the one scoring the layup. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're, 
that's super cool. I mean, they're they're taking you know people's uh, avatars, right, and they're overlaying it on top of real video feed, and it looks like you're playing vid or you're playing uh, basketball with right. with everybody. So yeah, I mean that's incredible, and you know the list goes on and on. I, yeah, like I said, I I'll take us down a bunch of rabbit holes if I'm not <laughs> not careful. But I the the future is bright, and the future is weird too, and I I think there's a lot of you know ethical things that we need to think through before we just jump into you know what the metaverse is which is what's concerning to me about the fact that all these large businesses are pushing you know the quote unquote metaverse right now it's concerning to me because we haven't even figured well, we haven't figured out what data privacy means for the regular internet let alone right you know web3 or you know metaverse or whatever we want to talk about so um, i i guess ethically I have a question about what I've been thinking about is you have your loved one who's deceased, right? You've collected that memory and that data that we've talked about. And now you do have the opportunity to get their advice, to talk to them. I feel like any person would give anything to talk to the dead loved one. Like we've, that's common saying is I'd give anything to talk to them again. But to me, it raises a giant ethical red flag of, well, that's not how things naturally work. So should you be able to do that? What are the ethical concerns or the moral concerns? Yeah. That's a great question. Um, what I would say is that we've kind of done that already as a society by writing books and songs and letters to each other and recording video and doing all these things. Like all of this is recording uh, wisdom. Right. And so to a certain extent, we've achieved that through technology. Uh, what we haven't achieved is like forward looking wisdom. Right. Which is, you know, right now, if somebody dies, it's not like their next book comes out unless you're a rapper and then maybe the next album comes out. Right. <laughs> They've got so many songs they save up, man. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, generally that means the end of of production of content right. associated with you. And um, I don't know the answer, right? The the future where it will, here's the other thing is, even if it knows all this information, I don't think that people are set on like one route, right? So um, I think, for instance, like if, uh, like, if you had a bad day today or somebody causes you to have a bad day, you might make a different decision than if it were a normal day. Mm -hmm. Right. And so even if we can accurately, you know, predict the ways that you would normally act, likely the actual outcome is going to be far removed from what the real human experience would be. And so at that point, it's like, who has like, should there be some form of ownership over your future other than your own? Right. And it's like, how much do you trust it? Because for example, with chat GPT, it can give you answers confidently, but they're not always the right answer. And so you talk about from the standpoint of generating content that didn't exist, you can take all of the things that I say and the general philosophies that I have, but if I am now deceased and you ask me a question, you're throwing in all of these different variables and who knows what my real answer would have been. But me as the AI or whatever I am in that case, I would present that confidently. And it might, might question me at that point. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, 
artificial intelligence is always confident, but it's not always correct. Right. And that's, that's a scary thing. I know people like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. I think everybody does. Right. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's always confident and not always correct, which is a dangerous thing for people interacting with the technology because uh, the difference between subject, somebody that's a subject matter expert on, uh, you know, we'll say XR, right? And the difference between what a subject matter expert would tell you and ChatGPT would tell you uh, to the layperson who, you know, is asking like, what is XR, right? They're not, they're going to take both answers at equal weighting. Right. And so that's an, actually, that's an interesting, again, I'm kind of taking us on different tangents, but like a, a side tangent is like, well, what is the purpose of people when you get to a place where content can be generated, you know, 10x what a, an average human could generate in their lifetime? And I think the answer is that we'll likely move from content generators to being content curators, which is we, check to make sure that the content that's being produced is actually correct based on the subject matter expertise that we have. And so uh, I don't think it gets rid of people. I think it just changes how people interact with the technology itself. Originality, because ChatGPT is, I guess, quote, creative in my eyes. And it's like you have the rapper who spends years creating songs and they finally release that album and it blows up. And that's the traditional way it goes. But now you have the second rapper who uses chat GPT and chat GPT can realize, run a sentiment analysis and say, these are the words that are trending right now across Google. This is a catchy beat that people are going to like based off this analysis. And you can start to like predict success based off that. To me, it removes one of the elements of like a little bit of the randomness of success, but also like the struggle of it. You can start to predict it so accurately. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. So let me ask you a question real quick. Okay. So if, uh, if you could feed what you've done so far in your life into chat GPT and have it tell you where you're going to be in 10 years, would you want to know? Definitely not. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's kind of the, the thing is I, I think there's a natural, I think there's a natural push for people to, to not necessarily want even the right answer sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it's interesting, like you go, there's lots of people that go to flea markets and they buy directly from farmers or they buy hand sewn bags or, you know, whatever. And the reason that is, is not necessarily because it's you know, better quality, right? I mean, there's lots of machines that can sew faster and better than lots of human beings. It's the fact that somebody touched it and if there's an art behind it, the, the human element, the human element. And so that, I think will become, that will become a very commodity or no, I'm sorry. That will the opposite of a commodity, right? That'll be uh, something that people pay more for. They already do, but I think more and more we'll see the cost of commodity goods go down, but the cost of you know people made goods will continue to be you know what they are, or maybe even go higher because there's going to be a demand for things that aren't perfect. Well, and it's the extra effort that it takes whenever a human makes it. And that's also what concerns me is like, it's the world is getting easier. And I don't want to say that in a way where it's misinterpreted. What I mean is kids my age, kids in high school, now it went from, okay, you have a book, you can learn the book, and then you can write the paper. And then it went from, well, we're going to introduce spell check and you can type it and 
We can help out. We've got Grammarly. We can now help out with how you structure your sentences. Well, now you've got ChatGPT that can write the entire paper. It can cite your sources. It can write in the tone that you're supposed to, in the manner that you're supposed to. And people can just kind of coast through life. And I, I am a little bit worried about people and, and their creativity, their originality. And when I have to write an argumentative essay my junior year of high school, that fundamentally helps me realize what are my ideologies? What do I believe? What matters to me? And when people coast through that, they don't get to set those beliefs in place for themselves. Yeah. I mean, that's scary to me too, right? Um, technology over time is the lever that separates the people who put in 1% more. That 1% on a lever makes a huge difference over time. So what you see is this divergence of, of uh, outcomes based on kind of how involved someone is and what their outcome is. So that's that's something that really scares me too is you know is there going to be a future where you know there's a huge dichotomy and I don't even mean like you know economic wise or anything like that but there's there's just a big dichotomy between you know people right because there's such a difference in capacity to produce things because of the focus on a particular thing so that that's a a big concern of mine and I I think from an education perspective, we're going to have to get away from uh, this like curriculum based, teach everybody about everything, you know, and then you go off to college and like you actually start learning things right. you know, that, that apply. Like, I, I think we're going to have to get into a mindset of like, people need to learn very deeply grant about the thing that they're passionate about. Right. And hopefully that keeps them inspired so that that gap over time doesn't become dramatic. Yeah. I, I think that I would refer to that as like segmenting. Like you have to find which area you're more interested in. I feel like personally for myself that I've learned more from podcasting and running my own businesses through high school and college mm -hmm. than maybe I did in the actual educational system that I went through. And it's like, okay, well, some people need the structure. It's mm -hmm. like, all right, I can respect that argument. But you need to start picking a lane earlier on because if you want to become an expert and if you really want to feed what fuels you and what gives you that fire, then you need to go deeper into it. Yeah, you know, I so I I agree with you. I think with a, I, I agree with yeah. The, give, give me some pushback. Yeah, so so here's a pushback that I would give. I think we encourage people to have to figure it out too early. Okay. And my point is, you know, there's, you know, I'm sure most of your audience is probably folks that are in their twenties, you know, our age, yeah. know, similar. I don't know if you know what the demographic is, but no, you're right. So, so imagine, you know, being like 50 years old, right. You know, a lot of people are going to laugh because there's a lot of folks that are probably 50 that listen to this too. My mom. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you have more like, let's say you're halfway through life at 50 years old. Yeah. Like you don't even have to have it figured out then. Yeah. You know, so like that's, that's the, you know, when we talk about like, being 18 years old and determining something that you care about or want to do, that's, it's asinine to think that somebody's going to be able to make that decision. And so that would be, that's kind of my point is like, I agree. Like when you find something that you like go deep, but take some time, like yeah. smell the roses, enjoy it, you know, because like going like at some point you, you max out on your technical capacity for a particular thing as well. And so, you know, like I said, take, take, <laughs> my, my, my point is 
uh, there's lots of things that you can go deep on. So yeah. Make sure that you're going deep on the right ones. I, I would agree. I think the, the shots on goal is how I always think about it is you need to find the area and then go deeper into it. But what I guess I was thinking about, I had a friend in high school who's a really good developer and I was like, man, you know so much. And he was like, no, that's not true. And I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And he was started to explain this concept to me of how you think you, when you think, you know, so much, you actually know very little. And when you realize, you know, very little, then you've probably know more than the average person. And it was basically that the deeper that you get into a subject matter, I don't know if I believe you max out. I feel like there's infinite bounds in which you can continue to go down that lane. And ultimately that may be better for you as a person or us as a society. But I agree. It takes time to find that. I'm trying to figure it out yeah. myself. I don't know if anyone ever arrives there. No, I, I, that's the other thing. Everything's a journey. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's funny because like life better be a journey because like the end, like that's bad. Right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. like, so the only thing you can enjoy is, is the journey until it's over. Right. And so I think that's another thing is, you know, a lot of people put dates and times and all this criteria on like, I need to be X by X. Mm -hmm. I need to be a millionaire by 30. I need to buy a Tesla by 25. I it's need a to Lamborghini. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like there's, there's all these qualifiers that people put on things. And I think it's less important to think about the qualifiers and more important to think about like, what do you mean when you say that? Mm -hmm. Like, what does happiness mean when you like it, you know, like, what's your dream? Like, if you, if you, if you had to give your qualified dream, like what, what are, what are some things about, you know, Jacob that are important to you? Well, like you have the, the, the traits of that life, but then you have, well, what are you doing that makes you happy? So, I mean, for me, if I could run a business podcast, work out and hang out with great people every day, mm -hmm. then I feel like that would be a great life. So do you feel like you've achieved that? Because if, if you're going based on those metrics, you're in Nirvana right now. I would say. I'm, I would say I'm a generally happy person, mm -hmm. but I am also the type of person who believes you're never quite there. So like you have to enjoy the journey. I don't feel like even what I just said, I don't feel like I'm ever actually going to fully feel that, but it's what I kind of got to shoot for to get there. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's something to be said for, you know, always being the dog chasing the bumper of the car kind of thing. Like yeah. you don't know what you're going to do if you ever caught it. Right. Right. But, but you know, chase it nonetheless. Right. And so that's kind of my goal too, is you know, put, make, make goals that seem ostentatious. Right. And then come up with a plan to, you know, kind of shoot, shoot for the moon and, or shoot for the stars and hit the moon kind of thing. Like, right. you know, can I, can I create something where the intention is much higher than anything that I may ever be able to achieve, but as an outcome, you know, there, uh, I can get 75% of the way there or something. Right. Cause I, I think, you know, again, it's, it's the box that everyone likes to put themselves in. Like if you think that your bounds are this box, then you'll never get out of the box. And so like, in fact, I, I don't know if you've ever heard about this and I'm going to butcher this story, but it, it's a good story. <laughs> um, so there was, there's a, like fleas. Have you ever heard the the fleas in the jar no. you know, story? Okay. So there's, there's some tests that scientists, again, I'm butchering the the actual science of it, <laughs> but the, the important parts, the, the story itself. So they were putting fleas in these jars and the fleas would jump up. And so uh, there was a subset of fleas where, you know, they had a control that was open jar. They had a control where they put a cap, you know, on the fleas and they let them 
essentially grow up there. And uh, eventually what they found is that when they took the cap off of that, the fleas wouldn't jump out. So you'd had a group that would jump out because it's their nature. And then a group that effectively had been taught that they could never jump out and never do. And so I, I think it's, again, sorry to butcher that story no, no. for you, but the, the concept is that you have to be really careful about the containers that you put around things because those bounds will define the outcomes and the success of those things. And so, you know, I, I caution people, you know, like, like I said, my pushback to you, I guess, to go back you know, to the original discussion mm-hmm. is, you know, when you say go deep, be, be careful because what you're saying is I'm bounding my focus on this one thing and punching your mic, but <laughs> I'd, I'm bounding all of my focus on this one thing. And that's important when you know it's what you need to do, but don't, don't, you know, hastily jump into that because there's so many things that can be, you know, a value. Um, it, it's interesting because I see what you're saying. And in my head, it was like, you go deep and it's narrow, but then once you're so deep, you realize everything that surrounds it, all the tangential industries and concepts and everything else that you can learn. And so like it widened in my head, the amount of possibilities and outcomes because of the knowledge that you had acquired. Yeah. Well, so I guess, yeah, maybe we agree. And I'm just, I'm just disagreeing. I, I probably misrepresented <laughs> it. No, I mean, I, I think, you, you know, you, you can't always diverge. That's, that's maybe something to call out here too, is everything's a, it's a, it's a wave, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, sometimes you diverge, sometimes you converge. Um, and you would hate to not have either of those because then it'd be a flat line and it'd be boring. Um, I think where you, where the risk comes in is like the amplitude of the highs and lows there, you know, to, to what degree do you want to go deep and to what degree do you want to go broad Yeah, is, is really where this conversation, I think it happens. Dane, you asked me, I'm curious because you seem like a very well thought person. What is your definition of success? Yeah. Um, so again, I, I like to go with open-ended things because, you know, you can't ever achieve it, right? right. So it always gives you something to do. Uh, you know, my, my open-ended thing would be, I, I want to find people that are worthwhile to invest time and effort into, and I want to help them achieve the things that they want to achieve. And I, you know, the, the XR stuff, I love what I do for my job too. And I love all the technology that we're working on, but, but the, the means or the end that justifies the means is that there are folks who are needing to learn things faster than they ever have in the past. There are passionate people like Grant who, you know, despite not going to college are excellent employees. And so my, my, uh, ex, you know, the exploration I'm on is like, find the, find the gems, right. And, and allow them to shine. Uh, because I, I think, you know, again, there's always going to be gems and there's always going to be people who have particular skill sets or that are unique that are, that don't fit the mold. Like, Help them, help them shine and inspire the next, you know, group of originals, right? That they come through and and build new things. I like that. One of my thesis with podcasting as like why I do it. It kind of pertains to what you just said. I figured there's a lot of people that are high performers, like I view you being one. And myself on my journey, I figured if I could learn just one percent from each of them 
that I'd be better off when I started. And I figured, well, rather than just having a meeting with them, if I had an avenue or an outlet to share this, I bet there's other people similar to myself that also could be in search of that knowledge that could also benefit them. And so by podcasting, I can distribute it to them and help them on their journeys. And that would be a win-win-win for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I love what you're doing because, uh, you know, even, even if you can get an hour of somebody's time, you don't have the opportunity to actually zig and zag and, yeah. you know, think about like in depth, right? Some, sometimes we don't even create space for ourselves to, to think about what we're doing or what our perspective is on a particular thing. And, and I'm a very like vocal, you know, I figure things out by talking to people. Yeah. And so it's, it's almost therapeutic for me in a way to throw ideas out and then you know, say, do I, you know, do I really believe that and, yeah. and have pushback and, and have these conversations? You'd never do that in a team's meeting for an hour, no. right? Like worst case scenario, somebody's mic doesn't work, you know, half the time. And then, you know, like, yeah. like you get into introductions and whatever, but like the thing that I like about podcasting too, is like, this doesn't feel like I'm not asking, you're not asking me for anything. I'm not asking you for anything. This is a mutual exchange of right. information and ideas. Whereas like, if you set up sometimes like teams meetings and stuff, it's like, what's the go do. That's what everybody's default is for. Why are you here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like what, what do you want to talk to me about? Yeah. Right. As opposed to like, I just want to talk to you. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. I just want to have a conversation. Right. Well, oh, and there's like a level of vulnerability or an agreement that you enter into when you're doing a podcast of, okay, I'm going to let my curiosity go. You let your curiosity go and let's challenge each other. Cause at the end of the day, if we're both challenging each other's ideologies and beliefs, then we're coming out with different perspectives. And those perspectives really matter when you have such a diverse group of people in this world. Man, talk about something that is not appreciated enough uh, in today's environment is the ability to disagree with somebody and yeah. still love them. Oh Yeah. Like that, that is a, bring that back, whatever that is, like, let's bring that back for society because, and, and actually, you know, one of the things that stands out to me the most about Coke is, is, you know, one of their core tenants talks about challenge culture mm -hmm. and the whole thing with the challenge culture. You mean cancel culture? No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> I mean, challenge culture and, and challenge culture. What that means is that it doesn't matter who you are. You could be the CEO, you could be the janitor. Like if you have a good idea and it pertains to whatever the discussion is, bring it up. Like have have that conversation with uh, you know, with folks because that's an important. It, good ideas come from all places, right? And we got to make sure that we, you know, that we uh, the world needs good ideas. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, and I know that we're running up here a little bit, but um, <laughs> as we start to wrap up, I'd love for you to kind of talk about you guys started at Coke by challenging an idea early on, at least there's this training going on that I'm going to let you explain the story behind and how you implement a different way to do it. But you were able to do that because the culture did allow for it. It wasn't that you had to be quiet. Turn. Yeah. yeah. Tell that story, man. Yeah. So um, I was, I was in the environmental health and safety team and uh, there was a, an opportunity to come and work on, uh, the transformation team, which was just being formed at that time. And so I was kind of in this weird place between environmental health and safety and in the technology group. <laughs> and uh, we had this meeting where somebody said, Hey, you know, it'd be great if uh, 
you know, we could train people in a way that allowed us to not waste material, uh, give them a, an environment that's better than traditional training, you know, et cetera. And, uh, you know, so, so essentially my question was, well, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, like, does that mean, uh, you know, we need to add some air conditioners into the factory line? So, that, you know, like, what, what does that mean? And so we started having these discussions and people said, man, it'd be great if, if there was a way to like use the 3D model of this thing to be able to understand like what pieces are named what and how to communicate and all these things. And, and I'd come from, um, you know, looking at some of the, like, I don't know if you remember Google Cardboard where you like, put no, your, I don't. Okay. So Google Cardboard was like this thing you fold up together and it looks like origami, but it, you put your phone in it and it's like the original OG VR oh, really? headset. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd seen that and I was like, man, that was really powerful. Uh, what if we applied VR to our training process? And at first it was like, man, that's a <laughs> crazy idea, right? Um, but we started to kind of walk through the the process and it was like, so what do you mean by, uh, you know, the training environment? You know, we could improve the training environment. And what they meant was, hey, you know, you're not standing next to a loud machine trying to have a conversation with a trainer. You're standing in a quiet you know, VR training room with the ability to have a conversation. And it was like, okay, so that kind of checks that box. Uh, you know, we need tacit training and the ability for people to go through over and over again, as opposed to being limited, checks that box. And, and we started going through it and it's like, man, you know, that VR thing that, that originally was sounded kind of crazy, like this seems like it actually might be possible. And so uh, once we had kind of done all the criteria and all that stuff, uh, we got the funding and we kicked that off. And that was kind of the genesis of this group as a whole. Uh, and it was terrifying the first time that we did it. Dude, you were an intern. Yeah, I was an intern and I was asking for, you know, for me, a, a fairly large sum of money now, you know, for you know, the rest of the business, it's not a significant sum. But for me, it was it was a tangible amount. And I had no idea if I could make it happen. I, like I, I just knew that I knew some people who could develop VR and I knew that I uh, could ask them their perspective and I knew what it would cost to have them work on this. And other than that, it was like, man, this is really uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, because I'm a, I'm a fresh person to this organization. And if this is my first failure, like one, do I kill VR for, all of Coke mm -hmm. because nobody wants to try it after Dane failed you know, doing it the first time. And then too, it's like, a you know, there's a certain amount of like, I don't want to fail. Right. Like that's, that's scary. Um, and we did it anyway, which is good. Like I said, led to where we're at today and all that stuff, but it was, it was pretty scary. The first, you know, the, and, and there were lots of arguments along the way too. Like, so for example, I love telling this story and, and Robert Ray, which is a good friend of mine and the guy that helped kind of found a lot of this stuff. We had this argument because he thought we needed a physical, uh, they call it a vacuum gun, but a, a physical vacuum gun. And I said, no, like we can do it with the controllers and we can make it believable and all those things. And he's like, no, you know, we need a 3d printed you know, vacuum gun, all that stuff. Well, when we got into the actual practice of like putting people into the room, we realized that if you had a physical gun, it would be two people blindfolded by VR heads, <laughs> but swinging this like stick broomstick looking right. thing around. And it's like, we're not having lightsaber battles in the training yeah, room. Yeah. Like we're trying to accomplish training. And so there's so many like 
uh, again, back to the art versus science thing, there's so many things that we've learned along the way that uh, aren't intuitive. Like you would think, duh, you need a physical thing to understand the weight and to understand all these things. You don't. And so, um, yeah, it's it's that that's a, a fun story because, and it, it's a good reminder for me too, to go back and look and say, hey, I know you're feeling pretty uncomfortable right now because you're you know, neck deep in things that you don't know what the outcome is going to be. But remember that, that kid, you know, back in the day that was taking a, you know, first step on the VR journey and look, look where it got you. So, you know, I would much to your point, like with the, um, Teddy Roosevelt quote, oh, you still, I was just about to bring that up. Uh, well, I'll, I'll let you finish it then. Go ahead. No, I was just say it goes full circle. You were that you were, and you are the man in the arena. Yep. Beaten and bloody. But here, nonetheless, right? Oh, I love that, dude. Oh, man. How long was training time before you implemented VR? So we were taking uh, like four to six months. Okay. Uh, would you get it down to? Like a like a week and a half to two weeks. That is crazy. Yeah. The reduction in time to proficiency was pretty amazing. Crazy. Um, so, and, and, you know, results may vary, right? So, <laughs> like, I don't want to, I don't want to make anybody bets on, you know, you, thou shall get 80% reduction in time or, you know, yeah, something yeah. like that. But I think the, the key point is like, imagine if you could be a doctor and instead of going to 15 years of med school, you could do it in seven. That's an amazing right. opportunity. And that's a turnaround. Like we need doctors. So the impact of this technology on education, I think, will be tremendous. And that's really what's most exciting to me because you back to you asked me, like, what's the purpose for me in life? My purpose is to help people achieve what they can be, you know, be what you can be. Right. right? My goal is to help people in that in that path. And so if you think about VR as a proxy to that, it's like this is just a tool to help me do that faster. I love that. And it'll record your memories and everything. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a, that's a benefit, you know, pay 10 bucks a month and come, come talk to me <laughs> in a hundred years, but yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Dane, as you start to wrap up, you've got your own podcast. Where can people listen to that? Where can they find you if they want to connect? Yeah. All that good stuff. Yeah. LinkedIn's probably the best place to find me. Uh, Dane Laughlin is, okay. is my handle. So pretty really original. Yeah, I know. I, I got really creative there. Um, the podcast is called XR at work. Uh, the whole purpose for the podcast is to build a community of people who work in the XR space or are interested in the XR space uh, that work in industry. That can be, you know, pharmaceuticals, that can be aerospace, that can be chemical engineering, you know, design or uh, production. Uh, anybody and everybody who's interested in XR and works for a business is welcome you know, to the XR at Work podcast. Uh, so yeah, if, if uh, anybody listening wants to to hear more rants from me, uh, there's there's plenty of uh, of rants on there. So you guys get super technical in that podcast. <laughs> yeah, we have. To, yeah, that's that's probably good feedback. We should probably try and dial it back a bit. But uh, you know, the, the intention though is just to make to make a community. Well, yeah. and it's it's for people in the industry. So like a layman like me, I'm not going to get it. <laughs> Other people in your industry, I'm sure it makes perfect sense. Well, you know, just keep watching our episodes, Jacob. And, and I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> Sounds good. If I keep hanging out with you and Grant, I might unfortunately get smarter. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. You might get crazier, you know, over time. But 
Dude, the size of Grant's head after he hears this episode. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't. We got. Can we block him? Yeah, we, yeah, I'm gonna have to try and do that. Um. Okay. Last thing, as we wrap up here, looking back at your journey, if you could go back to when you were graduating college or you were younger, trying to figure it out, what advice would you give to yourself? Hmm. It's a good. Uh, it's a good question, and I don't. I hate it when people give like the can like believe in yourself. <laughs> keep working hard, you know, that kind of thing. My, my advice to everybody is to always ask for help. And that, that seems counterintuitive to what a lot of people think success is. They think it's this single man's journey, you know, dominating the world kind of thing. There are so many opportunities that you can have if you just ask people. And, and the best leaders in the world are people that care about delivering opportunities to others. And so just ask, like, you know, if, uh, I don't know, there, there's so many different things where if it hadn't been for just asking a question, I probably wouldn't be here. Not that I'm, right. you know, anything to aspire to, but Asking is incredibly important and people are scared of that because I don't know if it's because people are afraid of talking to strangers or, you know, like what leads to that, but people don't ask enough. Well, I had a good mentor in high school and one of the coolest things he ever told me was the worst thing that someone can say is no. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going to ask, you have all this upside, infinite possibility could open up, but the worst thing, the only downside is they could say no. Yeah, well, in you know the 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 follow up to that, right? If if I were to, you should be a, you should be a lawyer here. <laughs> yeah, well, so the the follow up to that though would be also make sure that you have something to offer them. Yeah, right. As value. Yeah, because a lot there's a lot of people who are think they're entitled to a lot of things. There's a difference between going to somebody and saying, "Hey, I want an hour of your time," and and saying. Hey, I want to learn how I can help you in your business mm -hmm. and learn from you. That's it. There's a, a big difference, you know, there. And I think that some of the most successful people that I know are people that are not afraid to, you know, ask uh, for help. Now, again, ask for forgiveness too. Right. But if there's people that you aspire to, just ask. And uh, I know that's a simple thing. Sorry, I'm not. Uh, no, like I'm not it. blowing your mind, but no, no, I like it. My my, I think it's the easiest thing that people can do to to make a big difference for themselves. I like it, Dan. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, Jacob, always a pleasure. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and uh, look forward to next time. Me too.